Hey guys, and welcome to The Messy Table, which happens to be an ordinary space for real women, imperfect stories, and the God who's always at work in our mess. I'm Jen Jewell, the host of this faith-fueled conversation-style podcast, which unleashes a brand new episode into your earbuds every other Tuesday. Y'all, we are partnered with the women of my church, Life Church, as well as some incredible ladies and occasionally men from all over the Greater Capital C Church who courageously share pieces of their own stories so that we might see God's fingerprints in a million different ways. Now, of course, as you already know, all of our stories look vastly different. And honestly, we each have many stories and many layers throughout many seasons of life. Some of those stories are messy because, well, as sinful humans, we sometimes make some not-so-great decisions. Other stories are messy but good, like starting a new business, or raising tiny humans, or training for a marathon, or making a delicious mess in the kitchen. But then there are other stories, stories so tender, so heart-wrenching, stories that exist in what I call that delicate space between heaven and earth, moments that simply cannot be fully explained in the here and now especially not with words. Maybe you have a story like that, and you know what? It matters. All of the complex details, your silent cries in your bedroom, even that strange, unexpected joy. You know, there's a beautiful verse in Psalm 56 written by King David. He wrote, You keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Guys, this is one of those stories. And since we are on a podcast where we must use words and not just tears, I want to invite you to come in close. My incredibly brave guest for episode 70 is Carrie Young, a spunky mama of three who's married to an NBA writer for ESPN, who's lived through unconceivable loss and heartache and grief, who's wrestled with raw emotions and had to process impossible questions. Yet still, somehow, she can speak of God's goodness on the other side. Guys, this is a conversation you don't want to miss and you will likely never forget. So you should probably grab a tissue as you reheat your coffee, pull up a chair, and join me for a chat with Carrie. Well, hi, Carrie, and welcome to The Messy Table. Hello. I'm excited to be here. So our connection is really one of a bedlam rivalry. It is. (laughs) You cheered at the University of Oklahoma at the same time I cheered at Oklahoma State University back in the day. Yes, many, many moons ago. That's right. So while this is a podcast divided, we're going to be super mature and put our differences aside for the day, (laughs) if you will. I think we can do it. Well, Carrie, we want to know more about you. So just give us a little introduction and a peek into your world. Yes. Okay. So my name is Carrie and I have been married to my high school sweetheart for 11 years. We've been together 17 years, which is officially half of our lives, which we find just so crazy. Um, Yeah. So we, you know, went to school at the University of Oklahoma together, went to high school together, um, got married. We have two boys with us. We have Harrison, who's five and he is a riot. He's very typical five-year-old boy, (laughs) loves, 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 loves life. And then we have a 10-month-old Everett, and he is probably the yummiest thing that I can imagine. We we joke all the time about how we want to eat him because he's just so yes, cute. yummy. And that's what I said it's to you just, when yeah. we were talking before we hit record that I said he is just so yummy. Oh, and then in the middle of those two boys, we have our little girl, Eva, who is no longer with us. And she was born in 2017. So coming up on three years. Gosh. Yeah. 
So we're going to get to talk about Miss Eva quite a bit more. And there's really not exactly an easy way to jump into this conversation. But take us back. Like you said, you got married, you had a son, and then you were pregnant again. Yes. So it's so weird because, you know, when we we decided to start a family, I had always kind of thought, I think this is going to be a little hard. You know, I didn't really think that it would just really come easy to us. And it didn't. It took us three years um, to have Harrison and we Mm. miscarried a few times before, you know, he stuck with us. And um, we were very, very happy. We would constantly say, this is amazing. And we did not take anything for granted. Mm. I mean, we were just loving our life. And I even remember one time where I was saying something is coming, something is coming. And it wasn't in that this is too good to be true situation. Mm -hmm. We just had this something is coming. Mm. And um, we decided to um, have another baby. And I was like, okay, well, here we go. This is that something. And it'll take us a long time to get pregnant. And it did not. (laughs) It did Mm. not at all. And uh, we were shocked and thrilled and so happy. And we went and even got blood tests done to make sure that my pregnancy was going to, you know, stick. Mm -hmm. And and it was, it was, you know, very typical pregnancy, you know, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary, you know, very typical sickness, whatever, then it was gone. And we went to our 20 week ultrasound, which we actually had at 19 weeks. And that's when our world just got completely flipped upside down. You know, you go to those anatomy scans to find out the gender. Mm -hmm. And even to this day, when I see a gender reveal, it gives me extreme anxiety because the gender is something to be celebrated. That's great. You can, you know, name your baby and decorate and, and that is all great. But, you know, so we're looking and we see the heart and we see all these body parts of her come to find out it's a girl. And we were just like, that's so great. I can't believe it's, you know, a girl like, wow, we're so happy. And so the ultrasound tech leaves and she comes back and the look on her face, she says, your doctor wants to see you right away. And so we, you know, we're kind of like, okay, that's weird. What was the look on her face? Just, just sorrow. It was, she was really nervous and sad. And I, I just kind of thought our doctor's one of our friends. So I kind of thought, oh, maybe she wants us to have an appointment with her right afterwards, you know, just to talk. We get to the waiting room and Royce looks at me and he says, the baby is alive. You can feel her moving. This is not a big deal. And I looked at him and I said, it's a big deal. And I lost it in the waiting room. And then we go into her office and she comes in and she says, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but your baby doesn't have a brain. And I looked at Royce and I said, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Because when we had dropped off our son Harrison at his mother's day out that day, I had looked at my friend and I said, I'm just really nervous. It's not going to have a brain. Mm -hmm. And she said, that's not a thing. And I said, it is a thing. It's called anencephaly. And I'm just really nervous that we're going to go and this baby's not going to have a brain. What? Yeah. And she was like, you're insane. That's absurd. You know, mm-hmm. and Royce is like, not normal thoughts, can, yeah, probably. Can you, can you believe this girl? Like, she's such a mess, you know, crazy pregnant lady. Mm-hmm. And so when she said that, I looked at him and I said, I knew it. I knew it. And of course, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I did not know. <laughs> um, I don't think that I had some divine intervention. I don't know. Maybe I did. But I just, I, I maybe I did know it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I mean, it's a blur. That whole 
I don't know how long it was, however long it was, is such a blur to me. Lots of crying, you know, because it was no one had to tell us this is a terminal condition. Mm. And it's definitely the brain and the skull do not form. She didn't have to tell us this was terminal. We I mean, we knew you can't live without a brain. Right. Um, we didn't know the logistics and what was the next step, but we knew that this was very, very bad and serious. And I said, well, everything else in her is perfect. So can I donate her organs? If we carried a term, can we donate her organs? And I remember my doctor like looking at Royce and her saying to me, oh, honey, that's so sweet. But like, no. <laughs> like, do you know the news that you just got? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. And I was like, OK, you know, so she leaves us and, you know, Royce and I look at each other and people always ask us, what'd you do next? Yeah. And it's funny because we we didn't know what to do next. And I mean, like we didn't know how to leave the room. Hmm. You know, do we sit there? Do I, I remember like thinking, do I live here now? Is this my life, this room? Because right. I'm never, I don't know what to do. So she, you know, came back in, gave us some time. Is and, this my um, life? I think that's yeah. what most people would be and thinking. I, like, is this reality? Am I, dr- exactly. is this a nightmare? What's, what's happening? Yeah. And so we were fortunate enough. She, she came back in and said, I've got you an appointment with a maternal fetal medicine doctor today, um, which, you know, a lot of people have to wait. You know, sometimes it's a Friday and they have to wait till a Monday or there's not an opening. And we were extremely fortunate to be able to get in that day. And we went right over there and they gave us another ultrasound. And that's when they went over her head. And sure enough, there was no skull. You know, that beautiful profile you get of a baby mm-hmm. with that beautiful round head. Mm-hmm. It was it was not there. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't believe that we didn't see it before. Not only no brain, but no skull. Yeah, she so right above, you know, she had these big eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see like the eye bones. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a technical term for that. And then nothing like so the rounded part of the head, there was there was nothing there. And I, I want to be very honest with with Eva's prognosis. It was very, very bad. Um, there was not like, oh, there's a little bit of, you know, the, their ultrasound machines are so interesting and wonderful. And you can see a lot of things and there was nothing. Mm-hmm. And it was so shocking. And we couldn't believe that we couldn't see it three hours earlier when she was because we're watching, you know, we're watching the ultrasound happen and it makes sense now why she came in, obviously, and mm-hmm. was so sad. She's the one that basically gave us a diagnosis. She wrote on the paper, and encephaly. And um, I couldn't believe that we couldn't see it. And because here it was so... So clear. To be honest, some ultrasound pictures are pretty scary. Like They all look like aliens. Everybody is like, no one, no ultrasound picture is like this beautiful thing, I guess. Right. I'm, In fact, they they'll tell you like, you know, now don't freak out because this yes, is... exactly. But this wasn't the case for you guys. It was not. And um, they they asked us, you know, what are you wanting to do? And again, I was like, I don't even know how to leave the room. I don't know. And they, they gave us a lot of options. And we kind of sat with them for a little bit, obviously took them home and went and got our son, Harrison, and kind of like odd. We were just like in awe of him that we like had this healthy person. Mm-hmm. It was the most unbelievable thing. I've never been more grateful for health than I was at that moment um, for him. And so we just sat there and looked at him for a long time. Um, and then another super crazy thing is we get home and, you know, they tell us you hear your options. You can continue her pregnancy or you can induce early. Mm-hmm. And both of us, Royce and I were like, we're inducing early like that sounds like a much better solution. This baby's going to die. We're inducing early. Um, we were not thinking we're having an abortion. Mm-hmm. No one ever said that word to us. Mm-hmm. It was, 
you can either induce early or you can carry to term. And so we get home and one of my friends sends me a link to a story that was written actually that day. It had come out that day about another woman in Oklahoma who had a baby with anencephaly and was the first infant organ donor in the state. Oh, wow. That day? That day. And Royce and I are like, I mean, okay, (laughs) you've got to be kidding me. So we read it in bed late at night, silently to ourselves, both of us, you know, on our phones reading it. We finished basically about the same time and we looked at each other and we said, I'm not doing that. Mm. I'm not doing that. She intentionally took on the loss of a child. And that sounded horrific to us. And so, you know, we went to sleep, you know, woke up the next day and it is amazing what sleep, if you want to call it that, because we don't think we slept much that night, but it's amazing what the sun can do. Mm -hmm. The sun did come up. You know, I did leave that room. The sun came up. Surprisingly. Yeah. Surprisingly. Yeah. So we had um, a meeting that day with our maternal fetal medicine again and Life Share of Oklahoma. They come into the room and they tell us all these things. Yes, you can donate. Because our our doctor, our specialist doctor, she didn't even know that you could do this. Mm-hmm. So she was learning too. So they come in and say, yes, you can donate all of these things, kidneys, pancreas, lungs, um, corneas, heart, heart valve, or not heart because there's a lot of complications there, but heart valves, um, liver, all sorts of things. And so Royce and I looked at each other and we were like, we could provide life to another person. Wow. The kind of, the wheels started turning at that moment. Like, okay, this baby, because we had not named her, this baby was brought to our life for a reason. We were like, okay, this might be something we could consider doing. So we thought, okay, let's, let's try to save someone else's life here. Um, we had a meeting with one of our pastors a little bit later that day and, very gently, he told us, he never said, if you were to end her pregnancy, that would be sinful. You know, that was never told to us, but he did not say it either. Mm-hmm. Um, he very gently kind of told us like biblically what we should be doing. And um, he let us come to our own decision. And in that meeting, it's it's so weird because, you know, Royce and I still, we didn't want to do it. And I now looking back on it, it's not that we didn't want to continue her pregnancy. It's that we wanted her to have a a brain. We wanted her to have a skull. It's Mm -hmm. not that we wanted to end it. We just wanted it to all be different. And the truth is you are going to grieve and lose a baby either way. Exactly. The ironic thing is my old doctor called in the middle of that meeting and I, you know, you don't answer your phone in a very important meeting unless it's a very important person calling. And I knew who it was. I was like, I'm going to go answer this. It's Andrea. I'm going to go answer it. So she talks to me and I still laugh at this because sometimes there's funny things that happen in sad moments. I just Mm -hmm. need that thrown out there. I I answered the phone and she says, Liz is telling me you're having this baby. And Liz is my doctor, Dr. Pinard. And, you know, all three of us are friends. And I said, she did. (laughs) She goes, yeah, Liz is saying that you're going to donate these organs. And Carrie, this is amazing. And you can do this. And I cannot believe you even thought of this. And this is so cool. Like, I cannot believe you're going to be able to do this for another human. And you're going to give life to your baby. And what an amazing thing to do. And I remember thinking, who is this lady telling me that I can do this? Mm. And I, I couldn't wrap my mind around the fact that this was something I could do. And she gave me the world's biggest pep talk without giving me a pep talk. And so I hung up the phone and I walked into Royce and our pastor who, you know, they're still very solemn and like trying to decide what we're going to do. And I said, we're having the baby. We're doing this. We're having the baby. You know it. I know it. He knows it. We're having the baby. And they were like, we're having a baby. So we decided right then we're having this baby. We are going to give life to another person and to other people. And we were like, we're going to name her. We got to name her right now. So we got in the car 
and we named her right then. And then we, it just, everything <laughs> changed. We were looking up very like Christian sounding names because we really wanted it to be like this great thing. And Eve, it means life. And I was like, Royce, I can't, I can't put that burden on this baby. Like Eve messed up everything. You know, I can't <laughs> do that to her. And, and he's like, okay, Carrie. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's I know there's funny things in sad moments. Yeah. We ended up naming her Eva because that means giver of life. And we were like, this is perfect. This is perfect. And we really wanted um, Eva Hope. Because we thought like the hope that we have right now was really life-giving to us. And, you know, just also just the hope you have in Christ. And Royce was like, I just don't think it sounds as good. And I said, I think you're right. Let's just go with Grace. And so we, we named her Eva Grace right then. And to this day, we still love it. There was some really challenging things with her pregnancy because, you know, come to find out, I was just pregnant you know, she was still moving and she had a, a condition where she couldn't swallow. So I got really, really big, really, really quickly. And she was able to move around a lot. And so I felt her all the time, oh. all the time. Um, you know, babies, I think have a 30 minute sleep cycle and Eva, you know, didn't have a sleep cycle. We don't know anything about that in utero, but uh, so I was feeling her very, very consistently. Wow. And it was that out, hard or amazing for you? You know, we were very scared of that. And it turned out to be one of the most joyful times of our lives. I would say it was the most joyful time of our life. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing because we were terrified that people were going to say, oh my goodness, you're pregnant. What are you having? A girl. Have you named her? Yes. Her name is Eva. Do you have the nursery set up? No. And so those, we always thought if we could just have people only ask us two questions, Mm -hmm. then that would be great. And then just not let them get to that third question. Um, So anyway, it ended up being this just really, really great, joyful time. And, you know, for a long time, I think it was eight weeks because I've gone back and looked, Eva was not our daughter. And we really wanted to continue her pregnancy because we wanted to give life for someone else. And we had an ultrasound about eight weeks later, maybe it was six weeks, and they switched it to 4D. You know, mm-hmm. they can do that. It's just a push of a button. And the biggest cheeks came on that screen. And I looked at Royce and we both started sobbing. Uh. It was just this baby. And yes, she did not have a school. And yes, she did not have a lot of things. But she had the chubbiest cheeks and she had 10 fingers and she had 10 toes and she was sucking her thumb, everything that a baby did. And we walked out of that office having a daughter. Mm. We, you know, we then thinking about other people and we walked out having a daughter and it was just so powerful. Those are our very favorite pictures of Eva in utero out, you know, those pictures, because that was when it like really, really changed for us. Gosh. And it was, it was beautiful. It was. And so from, especially from then on, we, we embraced every single part of her pregnancy as big as I got, which was large. Um, <laughs> I was measuring, I think 45 weeks at the end and wow. I get to 37. So mm-hmm. that was very, very big. Um, and we embraced it. We loved it. I, I didn't bother me in the slightest because like I knew she was alive and we knew that she was going to die. And you were a safe home for her. We embraced the time that she was alive. And it was shocking how joyful that time was for us. And we took Harrison to every ultrasound and they gave us a million pictures at every ultrasound. Everybody was so supportive and it was just this great thing until it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, The night before Easter, I started just having this like terrible, 
I don't want to call it an omen, but I was in a really bad mood. And I just was like, I'm just so pregnant. But really, I just couldn't get out of my head that like, I just don't know. I don't know how much longer we're going to be doing this. And the next day was Easter. I had to go to church by myself, actually, ironic, weirdly, because um, Royce had to stay home and do some work. It's, it was during the playoffs, the NBA playoffs. And so he had to stay home and do some TV from our house. So I go to church by myself and I'm sitting there in the back row by myself. You know, our, our pastor's up there preaching on the wonderful resurrection of our Lord. And I only felt sorrow because I, there was no movement in my stomach. Mm-hmm. And I did everything I could because I, I remember thinking like, it's Easter. We are here talking about a resurrection and like, don't do this to me now. I knew it though. I got up, I walked out, I sat in the foyer for a while. One of my friends came over and I looked at her. It was the first time I said it out loud. I said, I don't feel Eva moving. And she said, it's everything is fine. Let's pray about it right now. And we prayed about it. And, you know, I'm really upset. Or we finished praying and I'm like, I think I felt her move. And I didn't. Um, I knew at that moment that she was gone and it was really, really sad. And I knew that I was going to have to tell Royce and I knew that he wasn't even there. So we met for lunch, you know, Easter lunch. And I'm like sitting there eating whatever I can. And he finally says, what's wrong? I just said, I haven't felt even move all day. And he said, you're just now telling me this now. Uh, And like, I couldn't, I couldn't say it. You know, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't say it out loud because I knew that once I told him, it really, really was over. Um, we come home. I call my doctor. She says, drink something sugary, lay down, do those things, and then call me back. And in my head, I'm knowing she doesn't have a brain. You know, her body, if I ate something sugary, her her brain was not telling her to kick. That wasn't, that wasn't happening for her. Mm-hmm. But I did it. I still did it. Uh, Royce had like fallen asleep on the couch cause he was up super late the night before. And I got up and I quietly packed my bag and I, I was like, I'm not taking this bag to the hospital, but I I'm going to have it packed. And I packed it and I went and woke him up and I said, we need to go to the doctor right now. And he said, okay. You know, he was so calm. Okay, let's just go. It's fine. All right. You know, we drive up there and in the middle of it, he looks at me and goes, is it going to be bad? And I, I lost it. Like, those mm-hmm. gut wrenching sobs. And he was just like, okay. Um, we get there many tries and an ultrasound. She had, you know, all that fluid cause she couldn't swallow. So it was really, really hard to get, um, a heartbeat even towards the end because of all the fluid. And we kept telling them, you're going to have to bring in the big machine. Like the iPad ultrasound's not going to cut it. And, um, I remember they wheel that in and I looked at the ultrasound tech and I said, don't you dare turn that screen from me because they're not supposed to do that. They, they check and then they go out and then the doctor will come in and say the answer one way or another. And I, so I said, don't you dare turn that screen from me. And she didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Mama bear coming out. Um, And it took one swipe. There was no movement. There was no heartbeat. There was nothing there. And she was gone. And it was, it was, it was very, very, very sad. And Royce always likes to say that your grief does not need to be power ranked. He's a writer, so he's going to go for that. Mm -hmm. Um, but as far as, as far as power rankings go here, it, it was, it probably was number one. Um, just the hope that we had in donating her organs, the hope that we had to see her alive and to see our, our baby was gone. And it was very, very sad and very, it was, it was awful. They gave us some time. 
um, LifeShare called and said that they wouldn't even take her organs for research. It was just all over. And we, it was just, you know, one thing on top of another. She was gone. We weren't going to see her alive. We weren't going to get to just like see her, you know, beautiful body alive. And then now LifeShare is saying they won't even take her organs. So all of that is just so terrific. was and there's no adequate words um and i we tried to yeah. find the word and, and i don't i don't have it um surprisingly labor was very very easy and it came very quickly and um every all of that surprisingly went really really well in the middle this was about 12 hours later because we didn't really start till the next day um I, I sat up and I was like, oh, it's guys, it's time. It's time to push We're, you know, it's time to have the baby. So we call my doctor. She's running, you know, she's driving over as fast as she can. And the life share people are calling us on our phone. And, you know, I'm, I'm like pushing, you know, <laughs> I, I look at Royce and I'm like, well, don't answer. You know? <laughs> this isn't You're the so moment. Good. Yeah. But he's like looking at his phone, like everybody knows we're delivering this baby right now. Like, what? And I was like, well, don't answer. And so then they start calling me at this moment, Eva comes out. We, you know, I, I have her, they take her, you know, to get her cleaned up. Royce is cutting the cord. They're calling again. And I'm like, well, call them back. It's over now. I guess it was the most surreal thing. And the weirdest thing. Luckily, my doctor says, you're fine, Carrie, let me take the phone and I'll go call them. And I'm like, well, don't you need to fix me? She's like, you're fine. That's <laughs> so, a good doc right there. She goes, they come back in. And she says, I have Lori on the phone. They have a recipient for Eva's eyes. Oh, and we we lost it again. There was so many moments of just complete brokenness. And this was a brokenness that we just, we didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve this. And God gave us this amazing gift and this amazing ounce of grace. And it was so beautiful. And we obviously said yes. Oh my it gosh. Just, <laughs> we just didn't deserve it you know, cause we don't deserve any of that. So we said yes. And then they brought her over and we looked at her and she really was just this sweet, tiny baby. She was only three pounds and 10 ounces and her whole body was perfect except the part that wasn't. And it was so shocking to see that. Um, but, but we did, we loved on her and, um, all of our family held her mm. and, then we, you know, we sent her away and it was, it was honestly that simple. It was very sad, but it was also very peaceful because this, this moment was gone. This moment was over and we had to like close that chapter on that part of her life. And we had no idea what was coming and kind of nice to sit in that for a minute. And, um, yeah. So then she, (laughs) okay, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) All of us listening are just you know, there's just no words, but I think I can speak for probably the majority of us listening to your story right now, most through tears and can confidently say, we just, we ache with you, but there's also this like peace or beauty in your voice as you talk about her story as well. It was very peaceful. Um, we felt very confident and very, it was just a very tender moment. And we just, we, we really embraced that and really held on to that. So that was, had to be from the Lord because, oh my goodness. Yeah. Right. So Harrison, I'm curious through all of this, you said you took him to ultrasounds and all that. How did you process this with him? 
we told him pretty much immediately, it's a girl, but she's not going to come home and live with us. And she gets to go directly to heaven. We're going to have her and we're going to hold her and we're going to love on her. And then she's going to go live with Jesus. And he was two and a half at the time. So he thought that sounds great. Um, while I was pregnant, he never thought like, are you sure that's going to, you know, he was just like, well, she's going to live with Jesus. And, you know, I mean, you talk about the faith of a child and like, we saw it clear as day for 20 weeks. He just was okay. That's fine. We never told him she doesn't have a brain. She Mm -hmm. has an encephaly. We didn't go that. We just said she's sick and she's not going to get to come home and live with us. And he was fine. He saw lots of tears. He saw, we we didn't hide any of that from him. And I don't know if that was the right thing or if the wrong thing, you know, people have told us if it was the right thing or the wrong thing and that's to each their own, they can, they can make their own decision if this horrific thing ever happens. (laughs) Right. Um, But we did, we, we told him everything and he saw us cry a lot. And now to this day, he can, if I cry, he knows what to do. And that's if I'm crying about Eva or if I'm crying at the end of Toy Story 4, (laughs) he knows to come and put his hand on me and give me a hug and say, do we need to get you out of here? (laughs) Do I need to get you out of here safely? Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that you posted, and it was when you were pregnant with your second son, so your third child. I think Royce was putting together the crib or something like that. And you said that Harrison didn't realize that babies were supposed to come home with you. Yes. And that was really, really sad. Everett's pregnancy after Eva was very difficult emotionally and mentally for us. Um, Physically, it was fine. But, uh, you know, there's a lot. We had a lot of ultrasounds and I had a lot of wake up in the middle of the night. I can't feel the baby move. Call my doctor right now. We need to go in for an ultrasound. And thank the Lord they let me. They would do that. They would, Mm -hmm. I mean, they would say, okay, first appointment, just come on in. They just said, come in whenever you need. And so I did for a while I did. And, but, you know, we didn't put a crib together until about 35 weeks because I just, I was so terrified and it it wasn't even because of having anencephaly. It was because I had a stillborn, you know, Eva should have made it to the outside alive. She should have been born alive. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know why she was still born. You know, her brain controls the heart and her, you know, heart just gave out. But having a stillborn has haunted me in more ways than one. And so we didn't, we waited a long time to put that crib together. And when we did, we finally, you know, kind of had to say like, the Lord has given us this baby and it, I expect him to do great things. Yeah. And that is faith. You know, I expect God to give us this baby. And so we did. We had to say, like, this fear that we have is not from the Lord. And um, there's this Need to Breathe song called Garden. And it starts with, take this um, one. Of course, now I can't think of the words. But it's it's basically about Jesus in the garden. And, you know, when he wept and he's saying, is, is there any other way? Please make this be any other way. And at that moment, I thought, like, this is our other way. Mm -hmm. We have to embrace the fact that we are supposed to have a baby and we're supposed to bring this baby home. So we did. We put up the crib. We did everything in the span of like 12 hours because (laughs) we had all this stuff and we just threw it all up on the walls and we put the crib together. And Harrison was like, why are we doing this? What are we doing? And we said, because the baby has to have a room to come home to. And that's, that's not the truth. You don't have to have a room to for your baby, but we did. Mm-hmm. And he said, what do you mean? Like, isn't he going to live in heaven? And we were like, no, yeah. that's not how that works. And he said, well, that's what happened to Eva. And oh my God, we had no uh, idea. He didn't think that this baby was coming home. It kind of blew our minds. But yeah, no one, then after that, he was like really pumped. 
Um, so yeah, it was, I get to keep him. Awesome. Learning moment for all of us. It really was, um, a faith filled learning moment. So So. speaking of your faith, both you and your husband are Christians, um, yet you were faced with this unbelievable tension, this space kind of between heaven and earth where our questions and prayers don't always give way to the answers we want. We know that. You live that out, which are two different things. So how did you wrestle with that tension, or maybe how are you still wrestling with that tension as you also walk out your faith, walk in faith, believe that God does have good in store? We know that like there is heaven. And we know that we are made whole in heaven. And we know that there is a renewal in heaven and there is a reunification in heaven. And so we very constantly set our eyes to the kingdom. Mm. And we don't have our girl here, but we know that the renewal is coming. And we know that that reunification will eventually happen for us. And I don't know what she's going to look like. I don't know how old she's going to be. I don't know any of those answers, but I know that she's going to be there. And I know that I'm going to be with her. Hmm. And so when we get really sad, sometimes we just have to sit there and think the reunification is coming and this pain will be worth it. That's true. Because, you know, God makes us whole and God makes us new. And that's what we have to believe. Right. So that we, we really try to think on of heaven. And I know that that sounds so beautiful, but it's really not. It's, you know, because I am broken here and I am wanting my baby here. Mm -hmm. I want to have a two and a half year old here. And so wrestling with what I want now and what I know is coming for years. And I think anybody deals with this in any kind of loss. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, it's a lot different with an out of order loss, which is when you lose your um, child and not your parent. It's kind of different because, you know, your parents, you're supposed to outlive your parents. Right. It's a different kind of loss. My aunt, who I'm super close to, in her lifetime has lost an infant son who lived two hours, an 18-year-old son who was killed in a car wreck, and last year lost her longtime husband who died from cancer. And gosh, there's just such heartbreak. And she'll say, you know, if this was all to life, it would be so overwhelmingly depressing. Um, Exactly. But thank God this isn't heaven. This isn't the end. And what we see now is temporary. This world isn't our home. But I know for her, what you're saying is so true. Just have to keep coming back to fixing our eyes on the truth, which we believe is that this isn't the end. Yes, exactly. And we rely on our church and our friends a lot in that, you know, Galatians six says you bear one another's burdens. And we have lived that out. (laughs) Our friends and family have been so supportive with us in that. Um, You know, there's that saying, God won't give you more than you can handle. Mm -hmm. And that's just not biblical. Mm -hmm. It's not true. It's not, it's, it's just not, it's not the way we were made to live because I needed, I could not handle what we went through. Royce could not handle what we went through. We were thankfully on the same page at every step of the way, but we needed people to rally us. We needed prayer. We needed that. You know, if God couldn't give me anything I, I, or whatever the saying is, then why did I, why would I need faith? Hmm. You know, I have to have faith that it's going to get better. Um, and it, it does, it, it did, it did get better. Um, but there's a lot to kind of wrap your head around, I guess. 
Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a lot. It's well, a lot. Your words are making me think of Paul's words in First Thessalonians, I think, where he says, we do not grieve like those who have no hope. And so it doesn't say we don't grieve. In fact, the Bible is full of grieving people. The Psalms are full mm-hmm. of people just crying out to God. The entire book of Lamentations is basically funeral songs. Right. I was going to say the Old Testament's really heavy on that. <laughs> right. Right. We absolutely grieve, but we don't grieve like those without hope. And I think that's the difference because apart from God... <laughs> There is no hope. We're just cosmic accidents floating around in space. We live, we die, that's it, right? Mm -hmm. But with God, if we believe what he says is true, then we do have hope that Jesus Mm -hmm. has conquered death once and for all. Um, And obviously that hasn't played out in full yet, but it's going to, and we we believe that. Right. Yeah. It's just, there is a time to sit in your grief. And for me, that happens, I mean, every day, to be honest. I think of Eva every single day. Um, and there, there's no escaping that, but that doesn't mean I'm sad every day. Mm. I mean, you know, I, I miss her every single day. I wish she was here every single day, but sometimes I see, we have a tree at the zoo. And when I see one of those leaves randomly on the ground, I'm like, oh my goodness, my little girl, that's a happy thought, you know? But then sometimes I see a little two-year-old in a OU cheerleader uniform and my heart breaks. Mm. And it's really, really hard to see that. But I'm not sad every day. Mm -hmm. So this whole grief process, you talked about your church, you talked about your friends. How have other people been helpful and how have they been, I don't want to say hurtful, but I'm sure that some people have said some things that you're like, eh, let's learn a lesson from that, not to say those things. Yeah. I mean, just recently I went to um, a game, a Thunder game with, you know, Harrison and Everett and someone walked up to Royce and said, how's Carrie like being a mother of two here? And while that's, that's true, I do have two children here. I'm a mother of three. Mm-hmm. And anytime someone makes it seem like I didn't have a baby, I have a death certificate for her. Like she was, the government even believes I had a baby, you know, not even just biblically, but like I had a baby. So anytime someone doesn't acknowledge that I, I had a baby is really, really hard and, and heartbreaking. And I know they don't mean it to take a dig at me or anything, but it just, yeah, it's just hard. It's just really hard. Um, so anytime, again, it, when people go to the zoo and they send me a picture, like, look what tree we saw today. I'm like, oh my goodness, mm. you remember I had a baby, you know? So it's all, yeah. it's all tied up into that. Um, at Eva's service, we had a lot, a lot of flowers because I wanted a lifetime of flowers. She was going to get no wedding flowers, no graduation flowers, nothing. And that was really sad for me for some reason. It just was, I couldn't get it out of my mind. And, um, so we did, but then at the end, I wanted everybody to take them home. Mm-hmm. And I remember someone saying, you can want that, but people are probably not going to do that. And they did, they all took them home. And now when people put new flowers in those vases, they will text me and say, we're praying for you. We are remembering your baby. Yeah. And I, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. So those are things, anytime someone mentions that we had a baby, <laughs> we love that. And anytime someone you know, kind of pretends that we didn't, that's really hard. Right. Well, and I personally believe that she is a living soul right now. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And we need that, you know, because like I said, that is the kingdom and that is heaven. And that's where that reunification will come from. And I have to believe she's there. Absolutely. 
So Carrie, I just finished the book of Job and a couple things kind of stood out to me. Number one was that it really is okay to question and to grieve and to cry out to God. And then obviously, like we're talking about, there are some things that we can learn in the book of Job from Job's friends of what not to do um, because they were saying ridiculous things like, well, maybe you sinned, even though God clearly said that that's not what happened in in Mm -hmm. Job's case. And then finally, God responds to Job. But it's not an answer to his specific question. And I think as humans, we're constantly asking why and we're constantly looking for answers. But as God, he's constantly pulling us back towards himself and towards his power and his wisdom and his love and like you're talking about his redemption. And so I guess I just want people to know that it's okay to have those moments where you're questioning and where you're just digging in deeper. And we see that through Job's life and many other characters in the Bible how can you kind of relate with those things? Well, I think the main thing is that I'm a sinner. And what I want is sometimes a lot of the time a very sinful thing. You know, I want my baby here, but that was not God's plan for her life. And so I am a sinner and I am not good. You know, I, someone very, very wise, much wiser than me um, said something recently because someone was talking about kind of like a why do bad things happen to good people right. type situation. And he said, well, none of us are good. And, you know, you can do amazing things, but you're still not good. You know, we need Jesus for that. We need salvation. So I just, I mean, basically it's, it is okay to be mad and to be sad and to have all of those emotions. Because I I know I said it earlier, like even Jesus said, is there another way? And that's the most humanizing thing to me. Mm. Um, it's the closest I can feel to Jesus as a person. Right. Because even he was like, please, God, let there be another way. And so even he was pleading out, please, no, and angry and sad and just so hurt. And so that is an okay feeling to have. It's just you have to not sit there for a long time. And if you feel yourself sitting there for maybe too long, that's when you need to reach out to a friend, a family member, a church member, you know, of just a trusted person that you can go and have those complete honest thoughts with. Yeah. Yeah. You need that. And, you know, I hope that people have that. But ultimately, what I hear you saying is that even through all those questions and the hurt and the pain and the heartbreak, that you're still choosing to trust God. Yes. And that's hard. I mean, I'm honest. That's that's really, really hard. It's hard to trust God whenever you don't see it. Oh my you know, gosh, and I don't, yes. and I don't even no. mean like seeing God. I mean, when you just when it's like, well, what am I trusting you for? All of this, this is really bad. You know, how could this happen? But it's it's because it does. It's mm-hmm. honestly that simple. Right. No, totally. So, how has Eva's life shifted your own perspective? You know, that's a great question because I used to believe that, you know, God will always exceed my expectations. And it's not that I don't believe that anymore, but I think it's more of a God will always shift your expectations because my expectations were for Eva to be healthy. I I wanted her to be healthy here when we got pregnant. Okay. We're going to have a baby in nine months and that baby's going to be healthy. Well, then that did not happen. And so we expected her to come out alive and for us to hold her and have her skin be pink and her skin be beautiful. And that did not happen. And so my expectations were certainly not exceeded. They were just completely shifted. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn to be okay with that shift. And since then, that it's kind of the same situation. I don't look at things as like, oh, this is a guarantee. 
you know, not even in my health, not in anybody else's health, not in getting into a car and driving to school, like, you know, nothing is a guarantee. And I, but my expectation is that I'm going to end up being okay with what that is. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes isn't, isn't a happy thing, but sometimes it is. And when it is, you really, really rejoice in that and cling to that and cling to that goodness and just know that that came from God, just like the sadness did. Right. Right. You know, and you, it's, it's almost like that movie inside out that, you know, you're, your globes are not, they're not all yellow. There's some blue in there, you know, to find joy, there's some sadness in there. Yeah. And that is an okay thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So I want to go back to Eva's eyes. Yes. So you were actually able to donate them? We were. We. Um, she was the first person, not just infant, but the first person in the entire state of Oklahoma to donate an eye. And she donated both of hers. Wow. So yeah, it was, um, it was very, very, um, we were honored. We were very honored. So I believe that you are not disclosing that information yet. Is that correct? That's true. We do know where her eyes are. And her, you know, her story got so public so quickly and so accidentally. Um, I mean, we were even on Good Morning America for a minute. And that was just <laughs> weird. And a lot of people had an opinion. And most of the time they were nice, but I'm still a little sensitive about it. So there's only a very, very small amount of things that are just for us. And right now that is just for us, but we do know where her eyes are. We do know that they're making a difference and we still are incredibly honored to be a donor family. We really, really are. I love it. And we totally respect that. Is there anything else you want to say about being a donor family? Um, just that I think everyone should be, (laughs) I do, you know, we just came back from Pasadena. We were selected to, um, have Eva, she had a floor graph on the donate life float at the Rose parade. And it was very, very honoring and beautiful. And it was amazing to see the recipients there too. I used to have a hard time with with going to things where recipient and donor families were together because half the people there are thrilled mm-hmm. and the other half are not, you know, they, every time I go to one of those events, I'm so honored, but I'm also so wishing my baby was here. Right. So it's, it's kind of a weird juxtaposition there, but now having done this, the Rose Parade, I see those people are just so thankful. Yeah. And I, I, it has given me a shift in my view of it and why I like now I'm like, I want to do events together all the time because mm. they are so appreciative and it does kind of give you a, a, a different look on it. Right. So, so I know that now you're kind of involved with supporting moms who've experienced infant loss. Can you tell yes. us a little bit about that? Yes. My, my dear friend, Abby, um, Ahern, she also had a baby with Anna Suffley. She's the one that wrote the good housekeeping article that came out that the read. day that yes. you found out, which yes. is wild. I know. And now we're like best friends. She's the sister I never had. Um, we were meeting with moms all over Oklahoma city and coffee shops and crying all over the state. And we just were like, I, I can't do this anymore. And luckily her church said, we'd like to support you in that. And her church started with, you know, she's completely the spearhead of this um, support for infant loss group. And it's very specific to who comes and it's, it's very specific to infant loss because there is a lot of miscarriage and infant loss support groups out there. And those are great. And I don't, like I said, we're not power ranking grief here, but infant loss and miscarriage loss is different. Mm -hmm. And, and I, having had both, I know that firsthand, and so sometimes it's it's hard as a mom who lost a baby 
who maybe was three months old or who was stillborn or, you know, something to be in the same room as a grieving mom who had a six week miscarriage. Right. And that grief is her own and we support that person, but it's, it's different. And sometimes even myself, I think I wish I had miscarried Eva. I wouldn't know this pain if I had. And I know, you know, that's a very fleeting wish because I'm thrilled that we had her. Sure. No, I think that's a a raw, honest thought. It is. Sometimes I think like you have no idea how lucky you are. And and that's not fair for me to sit there with that person and try to support that person if if I can't be supportive. No, that makes sense. It's different. Yeah, it's just different. So we kind of, so she, Abby created this group. And um, we have moms come in and we started meeting once a month and then it turned into twice a month and it's become this really great place. And we had no idea that all these people would come. And the sad thing is it it's only gets bigger because, you know, the sad reality is babies are just still dying. And right. I hate that. I hate, I can't believe that's a sentence I say. Um, I just hate death in general, death know, in general. I just, and I know that's just, why Jesus came. I mean, honestly, cause that's the worst of the worst is that this world has death and brokenness in it. And I hate it. Mm-hmm. But the, the group has been really great for all of us. And if you know someone in need of it, you can absolutely reach out to me and I would love, love, love to get you plugged into our little group. So other than supporting mamas who've experienced the same loss, do you have any resources or anything that's been impactful to you that you'd want to recommend to other people? Yes. You know, I thought long and hard about this because, you know, I do have a baby and I'm not in a season right now where I'm like, let me sit down and read this book. That's hard for everybody. (laughs) That's why Audible is awesome. Yeah. And so I I actually, I listen to your podcast a lot. Um, Every time it comes on, I I listen to it, you know, every other Tuesday. Well, now you're going to get to hear yourself. So (laughs) yeah. But you know, when I was pregnant with Eva, we had a lot of people mail us things and, you know, there were strangers, which let me just sidebar this. If you are a stranger and you don't know someone, don't mail something to their house because then that's weird. Then they like know that you, they know where you live and don't do that. Don't do that. Um, but Side note. I, I was essentially sent a grief library and I can be honest and sit here and say that I have not read all of these, but I do know people that have. So I'm going to just anybody experiencing grief and a lot of it is infant loss grief. So I will say that, but I was sent three copies of the one year book of hope by Nancy Guthrie. Mm. Um, Waiting with Gabriel is a very um, common infant loss book by Amy Kubelbeck. Waiting with Gabriel. Okay. It's a very, very common infant loss book. And then I Will Carry You by Angie Smith is also another um, pretty good infant loss book. Um, another one, I'll do one more. This was actually just given to me about three months ago. And I love it. My friend Abby loves it. And we all love it. And it's a children's book. And it is called The Moon is Always Round. And I don't want to give the whole thing away. But... The moon is always round, even when you can't see it. So you go outside, there's a crescent, but the moon is always round. It's a symbolism for how God is always good. You know, you cannot see God's goodness all the time, but God is always good. And it's a beautiful book about infant loss. It's it's basically my life in a, in a book. <laughs> so I do love it. Um, that sounds and amazing. We, it is amazing. And we, we use it all the time now at my house, you know. My my son has a telescope and he will go out and he'll say, it's it's only a half moon now, but the moon is always round because God is always good. And it's just, it's so pure. 
It's so, it's so pure. That. Moon is always round by Jonathan Gibson. We love it here at our house. And then the last thing, my husband actually, he's a writer. And so he has um, written something. It was right after Eva was born. And he had a, he put it up on medium.com. And I'm sure we'll link that. And it just kind of tells Eva's story through his eyes, which I think is really important um, because he lost a baby too. Mm. And he's grieving too. And it kind of shows what happened through his eyes and... He's really, really, really good with words, and I, I hope people can read it because I'm really proud of him. Yeah. yeah, so that. We will link it up, and it is honestly so powerful, and he is great with words. So he really paints a picture. Yeah, and I do want to say there's an audio version at the top. We did not. That's not our voice. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to throw, throw that out there. <laughs> that's, not, that's not him. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Carrie, I know we talked about this before we recorded and a little bit during the podcast, but there just aren't words. And I know sometimes you said when you're talking about this, that it's almost like an out of body experience and you need to kind of go just kind of rest afterwards because mm-hmm. it's so emotionally engaging to rehash all of these things that happen that it is your life. It is something that actually happened. And I just commend you for the way that you're honoring your girl. And we just honor Eva and her life and are so grateful for you and for Royce, for your story. Um, even though you're a part of a club that you did not want to be in, just the fact that you you're telling it and you're getting up and you're putting one foot in front of the other and that the moon is still round. And the fact that you're proclaiming that is just something I'm really grateful for. So as we wrap up, what is one final thing that you just want us all to know? To keep it as simple as possible. This is a really sad thing that happened. There has been so much good that has come from it. But in all of that, my whole thing is how am I going to further the kingdom? And it's simple. Just know God, love others and live the gospel. It's really that simple. And I I just want to encourage people to not get so wrapped up into everything that's going on. But sometimes you just need to sit and think about the moon is always round. God is always good. How can I further the kingdom today? That always just kind of sets me on the right path and helps me kind of just regroup a little bit. So those simple words right there. Wow. So inspiring. Thank you so much, Carrie. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm appreciative and I'm honored and thank you very, very much. Well, after Carrie and I finished this conversation, I just kept thinking about Eva. You know, Eva was a person, a soul, a precious life loved and created by God. And though we simply cannot know fully or even partially what his exact purpose was for her life or for any of our lives for that matter, we do know that he is a God of purpose and intention and redemption. And we really can trust him, even when we only see a mere shadow of the much bigger picture. Then I also kept thinking about Eva's middle name, Grace. You know, Grace is messy and beautiful and so undeserved. In the Bible, Grace is often described as a gift. But sometimes we can miss those gifts because they don't necessarily feel like gifts. We're looking for those perfectly wrapped packages with big shiny bows, not something that's wrapped in pain. But gifts actually come in all shapes and sizes, including Eva Grace. She was a gift, she is a gift, and her story is not done. Guys, I can't help but mention, Jesus gave us the most astonishing gift of all. Though it was topped with a crown of thorns and dripping with blood, which is why not everyone thought it was a gift. But Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are justified by His grace as a gift, 
through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Y'all, we don't have all the answers and we still have plenty of questions, but He is enough. As Charles Spurgeon once wrote, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. If you're someone who's joining us who's also faced tragic loss, I do want to point you to some other brave women who have also shared their unique stories here at The Messy Table. Those are linked in the conversation notes along with the resources Carrie shared. One of those stories I want to highlight is specific to infant loss, episode 42 with Rachel Leslie. Carrie and Rachel are actually friends, and Rachel has such a powerful perspective as well. Well, guys, if you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe. It's convenient. It's free. You can also find us on Instagram at The Messy Table Podcast. I also want to tell those of you who have left us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. We've read all of those. They mean so much. So thank you, thank you, thank you for helping us spread the word. And last but not least, as we head into our week, don't forget, yes, life is messy, but God is at work in your mess. <laughs>